And welcome to another episode of the SD4L show. I'm Justin Thind. I'm here with my co-host, Matt Sheehan. Matt, how are you doing today? We're hanging in there, Justin. No, who am I kidding? It's uh, another sunny day here in East Lansing. <laughs> Justin, how on earth are we doing after sparring for 12 rounds of boxing over there, you man of fitness? Look at you. Still Matt, standing or sitting, whatever we're going to call it, but look at you, ma man. Massive mistake on my end over here. <laughs> um, as you know, I hate free time. Just, just absolute hater of sanity and peace and calm as between the day job between the 24 7 sports job between the sure. podcast between the yeah. online nba between moving into a new house between Jesus. a men's basketball league i have decided that now for the next foreseeable future 12 weeks i will now be participating in a rigorous which it's not really that rigorous i just have never boxed in my life so it is rigorous to me boxing yeah. program and um you know i realized that going like this it yeah. might not be hard, but going like this about <laughs> 700 times in a 45 right. minute span. That'll do it. I need, I need one of those Clayton Kershaw, huge boulder ice pack things. Yes. Tape it on the elbow, tape it on the shoulder. I mean, it's down very bad, Matt down very bad. Well, your shoulder's working well enough to hit the record button and get the microphone set up in an appropriate way. So we thank you for that. Mr. Send, thank you very much for what you do for this SD4L community here. Yes, I appreciate you appreciating my sacrifice. You should just not work out too. Like, just do what I've been doing the last five months, ever since my second kid was born, and just don't work out. And then one day, you, Justin, yeah. will play t-ball in the backyard with your three-year-old, run to go tag him, and you will feel like you're on mile number twenty-six of a marathon, and that you are going to see the pearly gates very soon. Because <laughs> I, I swear to God, I almost had a heart attack today just playing the most leisurely game of t-ball in the backyard. So just do what I do. Don't work out. It's fine. It'll you can great. you can only get away with that because you have natural dad strength now. Now that that's right. Right. That's what we call it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Well, Matt, we have well, Justin. a huge list of questions to dive into, and we can discuss our back pain and elbow tendonitis off the show later on. I so, guess. Shall yeah. we dive in? Spartan fan 0919. Now, you put this out on the message boards over there, 24 mm -hmm. 7 Sports. We also threw this out to Twitter, too. Now, mm -hmm. hey, if you guys have questions, hit us up on the show account or comment yep. below on YouTube right now. Yep. Also, subscribe. That's right. We're going to do this in the first five minutes of the show yes. and not wait till the very yes. end. Very, very professional and well done. You like that? Yeah, that's right. It's about the 13th episode uh, that we're finally hitting our stride with this. Uh, anyway, Spartan fan 0919 writes in It seems the new football staff is focusing on the Midwest initially, what do you think will be their long-term recruiting strategy? And what are the reasonable expectations for the 2025 football recruiting class? Is it similar to what Wisconsin did last year? Now we'll break that up. Let's do mm -hmm. the first part of this question right now. What right. do you think will be the long-term recruiting strategy? We kind of touched on this not too long ago yes. after the junior days where yes, they did have a Midwest focus. Of course they are going to want to recruit the Midwest, but you also got a network here, too, because right. hey, there's a lot of West Coast people. So was that more networking or do you think it's going to be a heavy, heavy emphasis on Midwest recruiting here, Justin? For sure. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. And yeah, like in our discussions in the past couple episodes, I think with the unofficial visits, obviously not compensated by the staff or anything mm -hmm. like that, you're generally going to have more attendees that are within driving distance to begin with. 
if you add on top of that, that like it's not the greatest weather here and maybe some of the kids, you don't want to just immediately kind of put them in that snowy environment all the way from maybe Hawaii or California. Yeah. Those two reasons aided with, like you said, the networking component of them needing to show the in-state and in-region coaches that the Midwest is important. All three of those things combined made it kind of a no-brainer to have the junior days focused on the Midwest kids, the in-state kids. Um, as we've said several times, 57 kids with offers from the Midwest, or I should say with FBS offers, not all of them from Michigan State, but um, huge, huge Midwest contingent in the last uh, junior day. Now, with that said, I think in April, um, when kids have more time and they don't have to choose between just a few unofficial visits and the last week of January and first week of February, um, then you're going to be able to see more kids kind of plan their visits across the country and come see Michigan State for a spring practice, maybe the spring game. Um, and then obviously in the uh, compensated June official visits, you'll definitely see lots of national people. So yeah, I think uh, this was a good idea with starting with the Midwest focus, but I think they're going to have a lot of national recruiting flavor in their recruiting class. As you kind of are starting to see on Twitter, the articles from everyone in the industry, um, there's offense alignment all up and down the West Coast. Quarterbacks, yeah. uh, top quarterback target, Leo Hannon um, out in Servite, California. So They'll pick and choose wherever they think they can get the best kids from, but they're they're commonsensical about it, and they know that, A, the Midwest has good recruits, and also, B, you're going to have a better chance of com convincing a kid from Michigan or Ohio to play for Michigan State than a kid from Oregon or Washington. So they're not dumb. They want to do what is both sensical and easier and probably going to yield good results. So they will do whatever it takes, including the Midwest, but they're not going to abandon their national West Coast roots either. Yeah, you use what you know, use your connections in the West Coast, but also let, let's be honest with ourselves, like Midwest recruiting is going to have to be important. And Jonathan Smith knows that. I mean, there's there's no question. I, I did love this question from Spartan fan because, look, a lot of people tune into the show for recruiting news. They love right. the insight that you get to bring, Justin. And the two most basic questions, but the most important questions on the top of everyone's mind is, yeah, what is the strategy as far as it goes mm -hmm. to the Midwest? But also, too, like what is a good reasonable expectation for 2025 when you do get a full run at this first cycle? Now, he did reference Wisconsin last year. Now, the 2024 recruiting class for Wisconsin, right. they ranked 25th overall in 24-7 sports. The composite ranking was actually 23rd in the class. And of the, I believe it was, yes, 22 kids that they signed, eight of them were four stars. Mm -hmm. Is it far-fetched to think that something like that could happen in Jonathan Smith's first class? I know that he's come from Oregon State and recruiting wasn't his thing over there, but... The resources here in Michigan State are a little better than they are in Corvallis. Right. He didn't come here for no reason. So is it within reality to think that you can get a top 25 class and that many four stars potentially? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the best way I would put it is absolutely it is not far-fetched to do what Wisconsin did last year. But I also would consider that probably the ceiling, um, at least for year one. So the way that I kind of see it is, Jonathan Smith has a proven track record, just like Luke Fickle did when he took over at Wisconsin. But Jonathan Smith's kind of proven credibility is more so with coaches and players and fans on the West Coast, more so the Midwest. Whereas Luke Fickle, he basically did exactly what like everyone saw him do with the same region of kids that he's targeting with the same high school coaches. Now, obviously, as we've talked about endlessly, and even with the last question, They've worked tirelessly to build those relationships yeah. to, to become familiar with the Midwest. And there will not be any lack of familiarity from an effort standpoint. But again, like all of his success happened thousands of miles away. So 
it might it, he might not be able to just come in and just sweep kids all left and right off their feet and into the Michigan State recruiting class from coming from the West Coast. But I think that, hey, maybe you can have more California four stars than maybe Luke Fickle did and kind of balance that out. So again, like I do, th- do see that as being feasible, but I do think that's kind of a ceiling. Plus, we have to keep in mind, Jonathan Smith is a guy that is a developer first and foremost. And in right. that regard, he picks the kids and his staff picks kids that they believe they can develop, even if they might not be ranked as four stars right now. So they might pass on several four stars for a three star that people are scratching their heads about. And one thing I need to say, and I've said this before, but the day that Jonathan Smith was hired, we were talking to our West Coast guys at 24-7. And the first thing that they told us was, hey, they're going to take some kids that you're going to be scratching your head about and saying, why are they taking this kid? We don't think he's an FBS talent, let alone a Michigan State talent. Two years later, as like a true sophomore, that kid could be all Pac-12 second team. So here, all Big Ten second team if, if that continues. So that is that is what we were told. So sometimes I know it's annoying for fans to like roll. They're going to roll their eyes and be like, ah, oh, three stars that they're telling us to watch the tape about. But they have a seven-year track record of doing that at Oregon State, so it's it literally yeah. means something. Get get ready for the slogan. Uh, Trust the process a lot. No, that's not a slogan that Jonathan Smith himself will use. But yeah, just like you said, I mean, just like we saw at Oregon State, like you got some guys that are signing on to this FBS team, this Power Five team in Michigan State, being like, it was this. Surely this must have been a mistake. He doesn't even have a twenty-four-seven Sports profile yet <laughs> over here. Now it can't be a whole class of those kids. Let's let's mm-hmm. not get it twisted. Like there, there does have to be some expectation here. But yeah, there is going to be a little bit of a sprinkling of yep. those kids in the mix here. Now let's keep it with recruiting here. This is going to come from T Wardrill is what he goes by on the message mm-hmm. boards over there at twenty-four-seven Sports. Realizing it's early for this before we've seen them coach a single game here or go through an entire recruiting cycle, I'm curious what you see as the biggest weakness with Smith Mm. and or his staff currently. Now, this is a good question because me, you, a lot of other Michigan State content creators, all that we've been doing is shining the shoes of Jonathan Smith and just talk about how great of an offseason it has been. And it has been a really good offseason, all things considered. Like, things are true. Trending in the right direction here for Michigan State, but not everything in life is perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, so as things stand right now, still months before kickoff against Florida Atlantic, is there anything with the staff that you're thinking, uh-oh? <laughs> I I think that well, first of all, Matt, you did a great job putting this question where you did because this is kind of where I was starting to steer Thanks. the conversation last time. So as always, professionally done. I try. So, yeah. So with the kind of discussion of last time of they're going to trust their valuations, they're going to take a lot of guys that are underrated and that yields a certain amount of like confidence or I guess it it, it comes with confidence and and self-trust and belief. However, Matt, if you can go ahead and land maybe a top 150 kid and then apply the same development to somebody like that, I would think that that'd probably have you further ahead of kind of your development arc. So I guess the long way of saying that is Jonathan Smith and those guys have succeeded with kids ranked in the six, seven, eight, nine hundreds, thousands unranked. I hope that that doesn't mean that they only think that those are the kids that they should be recruiting. And they don't like they're targeting kids um, all, all across the country that are high four stars 
So I don't think that is going to end up being a fear, but I, th- I hope they understand that at Michigan State, they're able to get their foot in the door of some harder and higher-ranked recruitments than they have in the past. And that's really the only thing I can think of with that question is I hope they don't think they have to recruit the same way they did at Oregon State. Mm-hmm. However, if they do and they start taking some questionable kids, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they have a seven-year track record of doing it. That's kind of my thing, too, is like, yes, the resources are better here. You are at a better place than you were over in Corvallis. No disrespect to Oregon State, but mm-hmm. the picture yeah, of why not, you know? is the picture. No, <laughs> uh, I, like those three accounts on Twitter, sure, <laughs> they, they deserve all the slander. But like, by yeah. and large, Beaver fans, I come right. in peace. I, I right. You guys have won me so much money on Pac-12 after dark. Yep. So much gambling losses won back with the Beavers last few years. Anyway, regardless, I... That is something to consider, though. Like, what if they don't take that step up in the recruiting that they were used to over at Oregon State? And so Mm -hmm. it's just the mystery of, like, will that be a thing? And also, like, what's the weakness? I'm just going to cry about something. I'm a little sad seeing Max Bull actually take the linebacker Mm. job down at Notre Dame because all offseason I was screaming, hey, he's an analyst down there. I don't know if he wants to come back or not, but odds are he will notice that 517 area code if you do call him. And if you're going to give him the pay raise, the promotion that he deserves, let's make it in East Lansing. So, look, I like the 10 assistant coaches right now. I like the staff. Don't get me wrong, but, oh, just hearing what people say about Max Bola, it's not even what's the weakness with this staff. I guess the weakness is that another name is Max Bola. <laughs> so I just want to take some time to cry about that here because, yeah, yeah I was whining about it all offseason. Someone call him. He's going to be a great coach one day. But yeah, that was going to do it in Notre Dame to start his career. So They uh, they did look into it. If the defensive <sighs> coordinator was not somebody that also had a linebacker's coach title, Max probably right. most likely would have would have been here. Um, but yeah, I guess that's Joe Rossi's entire bread and butter. So it's hard to kind of just force the hire, but I, sure. I agree. That is, that is something that was, that was kind of close to happening had they gone a different route at DC, but, um, good luck to Max. He, uh, he definitely would have been interested and Michigan state didn't, didn't kind of, they weren't just oblivious to it. They, they looked into it. So just I guess it didn't happen. And, uh, you can, you can take the anger out at Joe Rossi, Matt, you can run him out of town and maybe they can still get Maxwell off. I'll, I'll I'll call him after this. Yeah, we're we're tight. I was actually just texting him a half hour before we started recording. Um, that's a lie. Um, here I go for this next question. I'm going to do something yes. that puts me in, in a corner because there there's nothing that I just can do worse than pronounce names that have even the slightest bit of difficulty here. And I know this guy is going to go in the first round here in this upcoming draft here. So Mitch underscore Noel writes in, how much do you think Talise Fauga from Oregon State going in the first round in the draft will help with offensive line recruiting and with who will it help the most? I hope I did at least a B minus job on that name. Of course, we're talking about the great offensive line from Oregon State. That coach Maholchek, well, kind of just groomed into this great offensive line prospect in the NFL now, I will say this, and I, I'm sorry if I'm just going to hijack this before you, but I did see on Twitter today that Houston Torres, who is over in Hawaii, yes. he specifically stated Coach M is a great lineman coach because of what he is doing mm-hmm. with uh, – do you know how to say his name? Is it Talise Fauga? Or- I, I, be- I believe there's an extra syllable there, so I think it's a Taliesi or Taliese. Uh, I think it's Taliesi. Not even close. You're great. just missing awesome. a syllable. <laughs> uh, and I've only, I've only heard the guy's name 15 times in the last month, but still, I just <laughs> my, my brain just can't regurgitate the words anyway. I'm I'm sorry to him, but like even as little as 24 hours ago, we we've already seen it at least right. with one highly rated three star kid out there in the islands. 
So I, that's just one example. I'm sure there's plenty of others. Right. Uh, Justin, do you know any of them? I know that. We just talked about one not too long ago with Avery Gatch. I mean, yeah, yeah, he wasn't really thinking about Michigan State at all. But this guy has such a reputation that you can't help but to feel a little interested in Michigan State. Matt, you actually were not that far off. It's Talise, so it's not an extra syllable. I'll be, oh, you know what? That makes me feel a little better. Yeah, Talise Fuaga. So, uh, okay. so yeah, great question. Um, the first thing that I think about when I think about Talise Fuaga, other than the fact that he would have been an eagle had he been projected 10 spots later, <laughs> is the fact that he was an 82-rated prospect yeah. coming out of high school. Him also, I guess it's early to consider him as one of the, like, the NFL products of Coach M because uh, he's at Michigan State right now and he's not ready to go to the NFL, and that's um, Tanner Miller the presumed starter at center for Michigan State, he was a walk-on, unranked. Yeah. So with these guys and, and many others that, that have come through Coach M's tree, the sign that you kind of keep seeing is, all right, like no matter where these kids are rated, if Coach M thinks somebody's good enough, he will develop them and they'll be special. So that doesn't really answer the question that you asked, but I just wanted to point that out of like, out of anyone and everyone that takes recruits on the staff, pay the least amount of attention to star ratings when it comes to Coach M's recruits. Um, and and I think another example of that is going to be um, the center they got from Idaho, whose name is escaping me uh, in the current class right now. Um, so that's like another example of a kid that everyone else like kind of missed on. And he was rated an 83 or an 84 the day he uh, decommitted from uh, Oregon State. And then he got a late, late December bump, and he was, I think, an 87. So that's just another example of kind of what Coach M does. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of in terms of like who that'll make an impact with, like you said, like in Avery Gatch, you can see, all right, Coach M is turning kids that like were very, very slept on and maybe not as skilled into NFL draft picks. What could he possibly do with me? Who, and and I guess his eyes would think that he's better than those guys who are coming out of high school. Um, so really like all across the board, offensive line win wise, it, it can't hurt because like I said, if you're an underrated kid, you're like, Oh, I'm definitely believing in coach. M because look, look at what he's done with other underrated kids. Or if you're an Avery Gatch, a higher rated kid, um, a Michael Carroll, um, from Pennsylvania, who's one of their top O-line targets. Those mm-hmm. guys are gonna be like, if he can do that with kids here, imagine what he could do with me. Who's here and on. Right. No, that checks out. And also the interior offensive line from Idaho is Rakeem, Rakeem Johnson. Yep. If that was going to keep anyone awake tonight, just want to throw that out there. Um, yeah. Let's keep it. Let's keep it in the trenches because this transitions into two questions that were asked on Twitter. One was from Brandon in the portal. The other one comes from James. Now we're just going to blend these two mm-hmm. questions into the same answer here. I hope that's going to be okay with Brandon and James here. Uh, if you guys had to guess as it stands right now, who will be in the starting offensive line this fall? And then James writes in thoughts on the offensive line going into the first season under coach M. So when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Starting five, I, it seems cut and dry, especially in the interior with the two transfers that you added with Luke Newman, Tanner Miller. You also brought back Gino Vandermark from the portal. I can only imagine that yep. is the going away favorites for the interior offensive line. Agreed. And Baldwin and Boyd has your bookends. I, I, yeah. That's how I see it. Correct me if I'm wrong here, or if there's any battle that might be a little closer than I'm already leading. Yeah, on no, right. I, I think the, the, from left to right, the four rightmost spots are pretty cut and dry, but left tackle is probably, or I guess maybe it's wishful thinking, but I'd like to see maybe Ashton Lepo maybe possibly beat out Brandon Baldwin just for obviously that, that, that means you have somebody there that's an extra year. That's why I say wishful thinking, nothing against Baldwin or right. nothing pro Lepo on my part, but I'm saying like, yeah, you have a guy that can play for three more years than if that's the case there. But like Baldwin, people forget like um, for all the shortcomings that Coach Cap had, that was a kid that he took that hadn't played uh, football in two years. Um, and one was because of COVID, and then the other was the season before that he had redshirted because they didn't play at Juca where he was. And in high school, he only started playing as a senior. So basically this kid played no football before he got to Michigan State for all intents and purposes. And in two years, Cap had him at probably like an average, below average Big Ten starting offense alignment level. So, hey, maybe there's a lot more there left still because he's kind of just in the beginning of his development arc. But yeah, I'd say maybe like Ashton Leffo possibly possibly being in the mixer to win that spot is is not out of the realm of possibility. But yeah, after that, Newman, Miller, Vandermark, and Boyd. Um, maybe Leppo competes with Boyd at right tackle. Um, I guess we'll see who's further ahead between Baldwin and Boyd um, in Coach M's eyes as fall camp um, comes around. I feel um, like it's a unit we can feel good about, though, right? right. I, I mean, because they do have experience. You're not breaking in a lot of guys that have no starting experience. Right. Across the whole line, like, that, that is experience coming in. And, mm-hmm. look, I, I know full well that it is a jump to go from FCS, even if you do play at an All-American level, to FBS. Right. Like, I'm not saying that this could be, like, a top three unit in the Big Ten right off the bat. Right, right. But, man, I just, like, I, just with the, the guys that you do have, the experience – how, I, am I stupid for feeling optimistic? And I and, and I say that right because last year I went into the season <laughs> with optimism too. And I will by the by halftime of the central game, you starting to realize like, oh, <laughs> um, yikes, this isn't this isn't looking the way it should be right right, right now. So I'm a little gun shy to be like optimistic. So that's why I'm like, asking yeah, that. I I, I kind of am a little gun shy to be honest with being optimistic. I, I wouldn't say the offense line would be that much better than last year to be honest. Okay. Okay. I think you're looking at three of the five spots being the same. Um, well, I guess Boyd substituted in. I mean, that's probably a little bit of an upgrade at right tackle just because Spencer Brown's not getting any snaps there anymore. Um, so you're looking at you're looking at Ethan Boyd maybe being a slight upgrade at right tackle just from getting full time snaps, and then Gino a right okay. guard and Brandon Baldwin most likely left tackle. So that's pretty static. Um, other than the leaps they'll take in their development this offseason. And then um, I think Nick Samek was was a solid Spartan, and he was he was good as a run blocker, not, not as great as a pass blocker. It kind of regressed a bit, but I would say Tanner Miller is probably an upgrade over him. And mm-hmm. then Luke Newman's kind of a, un, a kind of an unknown wild card in terms of how he would project up to this level. And J.D. JD Duplain, again, another guy that regressed his final year, but he was still pretty solid. 
um, for like, I would say nine out of the 12 games. So there are some known commodities that are, that are, I guess he's really the only known commodity that's gone there, JD Duplain, but there's an unknown commodity coming in to replace him. And uh, you're really looking at only a tangible, clear level up upgrade at just probably center. So um, I don't see it being a huge upgrade just this year, but I think it should be better. Um, noticeably better probably, but not not massively better. Just middle of the pack of the big team. Right, 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 exactly. That, that's all I want to see in year one. I know I'm setting the bark a little low. People might be a little disappointed hearing that, but I, that's, that's kind of where I see the expectation yeah, as. I agree. Right now. Uh, this one from Madtown Spartan. Is there one player on offense and defense that you think was uh, underutilized or inappropriately utilized under the last staff and can thrive under Smith? Matt, uh, my answer is every single person on the roster whose name was whose name was coincided by whatever, accompanied by a T and an E next to each other. Sandwich. That is, I swear, folks, uh, we we did not talk about this beforehand, but that that <laughs> was going to be my answer. If you were a tight end, uh, yeah. that is going to be, yep. Right. Uh, now I yeah. need a different answer. Okay, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you talk and I'll find someone else for offense. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess really what we can say here is, individually speaking, um, Brandon Pirachek is a name that comes to mind just because like he's probably the closest out of every returning tight end to taking a leap, to probably seeing a good amount of usage in a variety of roles, whether it's blocking, whether it's receiving, mostly receiving. Um, so he's someone that is like on the precipice of breaking out. Someone like Tyneel Hopper could probably be a little better um, under Coach Wozniak in this offense, but like he himself has kind of reached the ceiling. So that's why I gravitate more towards Parachek. Um, Jack Nickel, um, I had been hearing last year, even while like he was practicing right. under the last staff, the last staff thought that he was a very good blocker in practice every single day, day in and day out. I just don't understand why they didn't use him on the field even if it was just to use him in that capacity of a blocker um so like hey, that never really added up to me but uh we'll see he's only a redshirt sophomore this year and he's a tight end so a lot of those guys don't play early on so it's not like the time's too late or he's behind or anything so um yeah like nickel and uh on parachuk are two younger guys masunas we'll see i haven't heard a ton about him that's not necessarily bad i just have heard more about nickel and parachuk so Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jack Belling is going to come in and be the top option, but you're looking at a couple other young tight ends that have a chance to make a name for themselves this year. I do have one, and I'm not going to slight the last staff for not playing him because he, he was a true freshman, but Jalen mm-hmm. Barberin needs to find a way to get on the field just on the speed alone. And if anyone remembers his recruitment, like he is quite literally the fastest kid that came out of his class in high school. Now, this is a log-jammed running back room. I want, like, does he have any semblance of hands, do you think? Can we line him up in the slot? Or if not, just have him out there for, I don't know, eight snaps a game, run some orbit motion with him, or just some jet sweep with him. Just find a way to get the ball in his hands. You don't even have to do it all eight of those times, but give the defense some eye candy and say, hey, that guy ran a 6.7 100-yard dash in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, That might be a guy we want to keep an eye on. If not for nothing else, whether it is in a slot receiver, if he can catch, I again, maybe that is the reason he was just a three-star and not a four-star is maybe he doesn't have the pass-catching ability. But still, mm-hmm. get him in motion, then hand the ball off to him. Make right. him a weapon somehow because that is a very unique set of skills that he has with his legs. 
Right. So for offense, maybe it's just Jalen Barber, and if I can just you know get Craven stray away from just the tight end position. Yeah, and, and and even if like let's say Matt that he's not going to be destined for greatness, I would like to find out. I would like to know what we have. Sure. Every single running back, if I'm on the staff, um, that the Prairie View game, whole second half, Jalen Barber and somehow, someway on the field, whether in the slot, whether running back, return. Right. Yes. Wildcat quarterback. Why not? Let's get nuts, man. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. Like we'll see what he becomes, but that's what I want to actually see what he can become. I want to figure it out. If this, if this is not his level of football and maybe his ranking is right, then, then it's good for him and for the staff to know that as soon as possible. So next season he could go to a better level. If he is something that is worth keeping around, it'd be ideal if you know that now in, in the fall, before yeah. you end up having to take maybe an additional high school running back because you don't know what Barbarin is in the alternative scenario of him not playing. So, yeah, at least that Prairie View game, if not maybe another non-conference game. Anyone on defense, because you know me, I'm just going to throw a fit and say, hey, Dylan Tatum, maybe just go back to that nickel corner position. Or, of course, you know, I can say, hey, Ken Talley, four-star kid, kind of doesn't really, like, have a home with that six-foot-three, 245-pound frame, but – Hey, here comes Joe Rossi, a guy that likes to use like a stand-up linebacker on the line in certain situations. Maybe that is just where you fill in on pass rushing downs, Ken Talley. So those are my two names I just want to throw out there willy-nilly right now. But is there anyone on defense that you have circled for this question? Um, I wouldn't say he fits in the underutilized category, but if he's healthy, um, which he probably won't be for camp, but he or for spring camp, but he should be for fall camp. Alex Van Sermon, a defensive tackle. Now they don't need him to play much of a role because they're solidly looking at um, a two deep there, and then he, Alex Van Sermon would be in that three deep. Um, but like, if he is healthy, I'd like to see at least in the non-conference games him kind of show what he can do and maybe see what he looks like. But yeah, again, like. Not the last stuff's fault. He literally tore his ACL before the season started this past year. So not an underutilized thing, but just someone that I'm looking to find out more about. Now, we're going to get out the door here on football questions, then we're going to transition a few mm-hmm. basketball questions. But first, we're going to take it back to recruiting because mm-hmm. Bfoot 14 wants to say, tell a story on the strangest recruitment that you have ever covered. That's a fantastic question. That's, mm-hmm. that's a nice one. There, I'm trying to remember – the order of events, but there was a defensive back in the 2022 class. Uh, last name was Denson. I think Shikari Denson, possibly. Okay. okay. And um, so he he was he told us that he was going to commit to Michigan State, right? And the previous staff was surprised to know that that was going to be his intention. They told him, like, probably don't. Because, like, not yet, right? Like, we don't know yet. Like, just let's hold off for a second. And then we're like, all right, sounds good. He's probably not going to commit. Not not going to write any article draft or anything. Open Twitter two days later, Matt. He's posted that he's committed. And then, like, no hammer gyps or whatever they use. I forgot what the gyps used to be. Like, the yeah, yeah I think right. it was like a hammer, right? Maybe like a jackhammer, too. But, yeah, like, none of those gyps came from anybody on the staff. And um, like two or three more days pass and like, there's still nothing of him like deleting the tweet, but there's also no acknowledgement. Then we're just sitting there waiting. Like, is he just eventually going to delete this or not? And um, like two or three weeks pass and still nothing. We're just sitting there waiting. Like we haven't added him to the commits list. Actually somebody from another site saw it down South and they added him to the list on our behalf. And then we took him (laughs) off. And then we're still just sitting there waiting, and eventually, like a month or two passed, and the tweet did the tweet did get deleted, and then 
I don't know where he ended up, but um, yeah, I guess that's not really that interesting of a story, but we were just very confused and puzzled at that time. Um, I guess the other thing was when Antoine Winfield, um, not Antoine Winfield, Amari, Amari went, who am I thinking? The, uh, the wide receiver that went yeah. to Baylor that was concerned. Amari Winfield. Amari, Amari Winfield, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ar- Armani Winfield, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Armani Winfield, yeah. That's why it yeah. didn't sound right. So in the morning, uh, reached out to somebody that would have known where he was, whether he was coming to Michigan State or not. It was told it's close. It is, it is between us and Baylor. It is very close. It is very close. Two, three hours pass, checking again. Yep, us and Baylor. Then I'm told that ar- around lunchtime, it's on signing day, by the way, and I'm told he's going to Baylor. So Matt flipped the crystal ball to Baylor. Seven o'clock comes, man. He commits to Texas and yep. <laughs> checked back in with the source. And he's like, absolutely no idea that, that Texas <laughs> is going to be the landing spot. So that kind of tells you how, how that recruitment went and uh, why they maybe didn't land him. So, um, and that's not, that's not coach Hawk that I'm talking about, by the way. Um, that's, that's somebody that's no longer with the program. So, gotcha. uh, yeah. So very interesting kind of just way that unfolded. And then the Peyton Kirkland thing was very funny because, it's one of my um, favorites, yeah. And, and not just because my hand slipped and I accidentally put in a crystal ball of 10. I am talking about the fact that, like, while we were trying to monitor the recruitment, we, so we're, we're checking in with Miami. And um, the Miami 24-7 writer, uh, he's, he's telling us, like, yeah, guys, he's not a take on Miami. We're telling him, like, we're hearing that he's, like, telling Michigan say he's going to go to Miami. Guys, like, no, Miami doesn't. Miami doesn't want him. <laughs> so then we're like trying to figure out, like, okay, where is he going to go? Because like Michigan State at this point was not putting up with the antics of the bidding wars and stuff okay, like that. Okay, okay. And because um, kind of like somebody in his circle at the last minute woke up and decided that all the four finalists that he was considering are not going to be good enough, and they want a fifth team to come in with a bigger, bigger kind of resource pool. So then we're all scrambling to figure out who's actually going to take him because at the same time, we're hearing that absolutely he's still committing on the same commitment date. There's no delaying it. He has mm-hmm. his school. Finally, we're like, all right, it has to be one of the Texas oil money schools. Like no one else is going to be paying more than like this reasonable amount of sum. And he's getting like that reasonable amount of sum multiplied by like three or four. Yeah. And um, it ended up being Texas and the crystal ball was placed and he ended up going there. But just a wild, wild scene of every single finalist that he had. They no longer wanted him. And then we're just trying to look at random, like literally just name a school. Like, could they possibly be taking him? Right. Nobody in the industry knows. So, yeah. I, I remember the, the, the tide started to turn to Texas and like he did the old like, oh, don't believe the rumors. Yeah. <laughs> when a recruit says, don't believe the rumors, make the crystal ball 11 at that point. That, yeah. that means the rumors are one thousand percent correct one thousand percent of the time so yeah matt if i can be honest that is the exact reason why, why i made it a 10 that <laughs> that tweet that tweet was why i made it a ton yeah and not not out of pettiness because i'm just saying like people that oh. look at the crystal balls they deserve to know the truth and i figured yeah. i needed to be assertive and firm in conveying that truth since he was trying to do the opposite it was it's just the service i had to provide 
look, look at you. Look at you. Uh, now let's move to basketball here. This is from at Matt 87. I know he's a red shirt, but there's, uh, sorry, I'm going to start that over again. I'm going to try to read English uh, here properly this time. I know he's a red shirt, but is there any word on how Norman is progressing? Of course, Garrett Norman, the red shirt right. freshman on the team, any likelihood he could be a contributor next season. Do you have any skinny on how Garrett Norman's been doing in practice? I would here? definitely anticipate him being a, com- uh, a contributor next year. When Izzo was kind of deciding like two, three weeks into the year, whether or not they were going to put the red shirt on him or take it off, it was a very close call. Like it was not one of those things where if he was just publicly saying, oh, it's a close call. Maybe we might not redshirt him just for the kid's confidence. It was actually like a really close call. And Mm -hmm. granted, like in like November, he was not probably going to be getting much minutes. Like even in December, had they taken the the redshirt off, like he wasn't going to be dominating or anything. But the idea was is that he was close enough at that point that by like February, they thought that he really would have been able to do something. But they figure like, you know, like look at the depth we have, especially on the perimeter. Um, Like even Trey Holloman at that point was starting to become a spot up shooter type that like Norman's role was kind of supposed to be while being a very plus defender. So it just didn't make sense to to take the red shirt off. So that's why they did it. But next year, I do anticipate that. And I haven't heard a ton about how he's doing in practice. This is all more so based on me knowing how that decision played out at that exact moment. I haven't like checked in in the last four or five weeks about how he's doing. But I do know that his like spirits are very high. Like he has no issues with the fact that he had a red shirt. Family seems to be all on board. I haven't talked to them directly, but I did talk to his mom directly back during the recruitment, and they seem to be all about the right stuff, just all about the long term development plan, the family atmosphere at Michigan State. So yeah, he all and he always on the sideline looks like he's in high spirits too. And yeah, that's not totally. a facade. That's not a facade. So so all all good news on his end. I, I don't think he's going to come in and light the world on fire just in his redshirt freshman season, but he definitely will be a contributor for sure. How stupid is the redshirt rule in basketball? Whereas yep. it, it is one second, and then you essentially burn your redshirt. Like it, it's I don't know. I feel like ten games is fair if, if you're giving yeah. four games for football. Yeah, we'll, we'll just do a third for basketball. That yep. seems a little just too easy yep. of a decision to make, in my opinion. I don't, maybe I'm crazy, Justin. I, I, but yeah, it's it's so stupid that they yep. can't play a single game. So. No, it makes no sense. That and the technical fouls counting as an additional. Well, I guess that's not that much of an issue. It's just the fact that those are only five fouls. The those are the two rules: the five fouls and the fact that you can't play any games and still red shirt in college basketball. Do you want to go for another hour? Because that's that's what I have the time for as far as college basketball officiating. <laughs> Whatever. I, I've never mind. <laughs> this is from Shawlene Walkstein. Looking at next year's hoops roster, specifically the four and five positions. Question number one: Is Madi coming back? And if he does, what is his role going to be? I think they need to give Cooper and Kohler all the minutes they can handle next year. They'll be juniors. It's time. Question number two, are Booker and McCullough going to be able to handle the four by themselves? He also writes, I'm thinking the five is a Cooper Kohler split with Madi as the third guy if he returns. Now, of course, we'll break that into two questions. Question one, Madi coming back. Do you have an early pulse on that with still at least most likely six games to go in this season here for Michigan right. State? Yeah, with... With all basketball personnel decisions, it pretty much changes drastically in March. Like if it's an early exit, like some people are either going to be like running out the door or they're going to be extra hungry to come back or 
if it's a late run, they're like, all right, I did everything I needed to do here. They leave or they're like, we're this close, got to come back. So it could go either way. But basically, March really swings kids' decisions. So therefore, like, don't put a ton of kind of weight in what I'm about to say. But I would probably say it's like a 65, 35% chance that Madi probably doesn't come back for a fifth year. Um, but again, like it, it really depends on how like March goes. And obviously the staff would have to invite him back because really the obligation was only for four scholarship years and that's kind of been done. So a um, lot of lot of variables, a lot of factors there. Also depends kind of how his playing time and trajectory go. I personally agree with the rest of that question about giving most of the minutes to Cooper and Kohler. Um, you've got to find out what you have there and which of those two guys also should be on this kind of level of, of basketball next year. Um, probably both, but like you still got to refine each of their skill sets. So yeah, I, I think uh, most likely, or I should say not most likely, but more likely than not, he probably won't be back. And I agree that those two guys should get a brunt of the minutes. And for the four position, uh, Booker and McCullough, Jesse McCullough, yeah. uh, of course, the four star. Um can they handle the four by themselves? Now I will just add my two cents here and it depends if they can add another wing here, but I, right. I, I see Cohen Carr as a four personally. I know that he's mm-hmm. played the three this year. He has played a little right. bit of the four. I, if we get into that four group, that'd be great. But then again, like right now, the three, it's just Jaden Akins. If he's coming right. back, maybe Derek Norman can slide down there, right. but still you'd rather have like or a Kurtang maybe, maybe playing yeah, right. If he has to, I mean, right. cause there's oddly, like, I feel like threes are a dime a dozen in college basketball, but right. Yeah. I don't know. Most of the time they're just twos there. anyway. I know just for the longest time Villanova just played like three guys that were six, two at all three positions, yeah. one through three, but yeah, like I, I, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I agree with you on Carr being a four. Um, I do think that, that like Carr and Booker alone could handle that, but then you would probably need a three in that regard. So that Carr is not also doing double duty and, and help, help like helping fill rotational minutes on both spots. Yeah. Right. What, what's most likely going to happen Um and especially if they don't get Bryson Tucker, um, probably only if they don't get Bryson Tucker, because then they'd probably just just use him for that. But if they don't get him, which they probably won't, and we'll talk more about that next week. Next week is going to be uh, the first half of the show will be basketball recruiting and stuff that we talked about last week, but or in my last piece. But yeah, so I would say they're most likely going to get a swing forward in the portal, a three-four uh, kind of a swing forward and that, that kind of person like a Cohen car also like both of those guys could handle minutes at both of those spots. Xavier Booker, if, if he's still here, which I think he probably will be despite like the rumors heating up tremendously that he might not be back. I still am not ready to buy into those rumors just yet. Maybe we'll, maybe I'll be wrong, but as of today, I'd probably also say 65, 35, he's back. Um, just like I had the opposite for Madi. But anyway, as I was saying, I think um, if he's still there, like he's probably starting for Cohen Carr, or I don't know, starting I shouldn't get into, but just like the fact of the matter is like Cohen Carr can play three and four, and they'll probably get another transfer four that can play the three and the four. Then you're looking at Booker exclusively being the four, maybe part of the five, Aikens exclusively being the three, and then kind of just those guys meshing and, and filling all the minutes out right there. So look for a portal forward most likely this offseason if they don't get Bryson Tucker, which probably they won't. Yeah, I mean, not looking all too great, but uh, yeah, they're still recruiting them though. By the way, yeah, no, well, we'll talk about it next week. It'll be fine. There's a lot of game left there. Uh, To take us home with the questions, Lieutenant Bishop on Twitter writes in very simple question here, JT: Draymond or Valentine for Izzo's successor? 
I don't see a scenario where Draymond passes up equal money to a college head coaching job, but to work like 70% less than a college head coach would. Yeah. Um, maybe he really, really, really feels like that he needs to do that for Michigan State. I have no such insight in him feeling that as of right uh -huh. now. But um, I think, yeah, if again, like some people in the replies last week were not happy that we're anointing Drew Valentine as the savior and the next. Oh, really? Yeah, like a couple of people in the tweets oh, no. were like, why are you talking about <laughs> Drew Valentine? Let him make the NCAA tournament two times in a row for once. Well, first of all, he would have if yeah. the state of the Missouri Valley for his second year instead of leveling way off to the Atlantic 10. But second of all, the point of that discussion is he's the leader right now in the discussion. That doesn't mean he's infallible, and they're going to find out whether he's good enough or not over the next several years before he's a retire. So it's, it's more of like the intro to his candidacy. Nobody's claiming today that he's going to be for sure the best choice. Plus, I would like to know anyone else in the family that has made two straight NCAA tournaments. So, I mean, yeah. there's really not really another option unless you really start looking externally. So I'm all aboard the Drew Valentine train today as of right now with the obvious caveat of being allowed to change my mind if new data kind of presents otherwise. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see Draymond kind of coaching, um, at least not right after he's done because he's going to get that TV money right away. So, yeah, right, Drew. right. But like, it, like I don't know. I just think there's a little part of Draymond that like is I know. crazy <laughs> enough to actually do it. So like, he certainly does not need the money whatsoever. Yeah, uh, it is a very hard job. You work 365 days of the year yeah. for 24 hours a day. Like, but then again, like Draymond's kind of nuts, man. Right. Hopefully, maybe he wants to channel that back to Michigan State. I don't know. But yeah, to elaborate on the Drew Valentine stuff, um, just to get like in my take on it, if uh -huh. there's three people I'd even care about that. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll be quite honest here. If or when, who knows if he will, Tom Izzo ever steps away, I'll be banging the drum for Scott Drew, okay? I want Scott Drew Ooh. here. What he's done at Baylor is fantastic. The man can work the portal. He plays a very good game of modern basketball. But I'm also based in reality. I know that Tom Izzo is going to be making this hire. I mm -hmm. know that likely it will become a hire of the family. And I know that Drew Valentine, he wasn't here for five years or 10 years or got just decades by his side. No, but he spent a little bit of time here. He does have a little right. bit of Michigan state blood in him. And just that little bit ties him to Michigan state enough where he is the best candidate. No disrespect to Dwayne Stevens. I don't know if it's going like all that great at Western. And that's not really even that big of a slight against Dwayne. Right. No one can do that great at Western, but still, you're seeing the young, energetic Drew Valentine in there, working the transfer portal, recruiting at Loyola, of all places, hit, having his Ramblers at the top of the A-10 just like that. Got it. Hey, you know what doesn't hurt? Hey, you look at a young guy. Hey, Izzo was here for forever. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we could have someone else that would be here forever. Right. Valentine seems to be that age. I mean, I'm sure yeah. if it goes really well here, the NBA will come calling. Let that be a problem when that rolls right. around then. So, yes, why we're bringing up Drew Valentine, just because that's probably the name that's based the most in reality. Right. And one one like tidbit that I'll share is I was talking to somebody that is part of kind of that uh, Drew Valentine loyal ecosystem, and they obviously do things differently than Izzo does at Michigan State, whether that's like kind of the social media branding aspect of it, whether it's using the portal, despite having the different kind of approach to the way that Izzo does things, 
they will they will defend Izzo and they will be passionately supporting Izzo every step of the way. So mm-hmm. there wouldn't be that friction that sometimes happens at kind of these exchanges of of like um, like long storied coaches going on the way out. And a lot of times that's why kind of like a Roy Williams picks a Hubert Davis because he's like, this guy's not going to go against my way of the way I built this program. Like he's not going to sure. tarnish it. He's not going to go cut corners or just be portal you and stuff like that. So like they do a lot of the times these coaches they think about who can do it the way that I did it. So like while Drew might not do it exactly that way, the fact that him and his guys have like massive massive appreciation and love for Tom Izzo even when speaking off the record to me, that kind of tells me that it's sort of a that helps offset the fact that they might have a more of a refreshed newer different way of doing things. There we go. I I, I hope we we sway those commenters below. I mean we're. <laughs> There's one thing that Michigan State fans will not agree on. It's going to be who steps in for Izzo next. So, uh, hey, when that debate really heats yeah. up and is actually a thing, God, buckle up, everyone. Right. That's going to be a fun one. For <laughs> so, sure. And, Matt, we yeah. do have to sneak one more question in. Our friend of the pod, Maxwell Klitsky, he replied to this on the quote tweet of the tweet. So that is why we missed it when we were kind of gathering the list at first. But I really like this question. Okay. Three things in the 2025 season that would signal long-term success is coming for Smith at MSU, and three things in 2025 that would signal disaster. Well, I'm assuming you meant the 2024 season, but um, so simplifying this into the, I guess instead of saying three things that would and wouldn't, I'll just say like what the factors are, because obviously if he does it, it's good. If he doesn't do it, it's bad. So one of the things is, this enthusiasm of recruiting and building relationships with Midwest kids, whether that continues all the way through signing day, or if it's the first two months of the kind of tenure obligation of proving people wrong, you don't have Midwest ties. If that continues and these relationships continue until the very end of this recruiting cycle, that'll be something that I think signals long-term success. Because if people remember when Mel Tucker got here, he was at like all the sound mind, sound body stuff. He was speaking at, um, some of those events. He was the keynote speaker at one of them. Uh, he was getting back in good graces of Curtis Blackwell and these figures in the state that are key for recruiting. And then just two years after that, like he didn't even go to the Sound Mind Sound Body event in Fair State. So like the consistency with those relationships. And to be honest, I don't have any concern about that with Smith because the one thing that we always heard is the relationships were genuine and he's consistent with them. So like I'm very close to just checking that box, even though like we're still like 10 months away from finding out. But like that's one of the factors that would signal success. Um, the other factor would be making players better than they are uh, on the field. Meaning like if a player is at a baseline level of like a C plus or getting B minus production out of them, because that's what they did at Oregon state. So can you come and do that in the big 10? Now last year, the PAC 12 was better than the big 10 really from top to bottom. So like, I don't anticipate that being an issue. I don't think the conference is going to change that. But again, like, are you getting the most out of your players, especially as a developmental coach and as someone that made kind of uh, your your trajectory out of getting guys to play above their expected potential. So is that continuing? That would be number two. Um, do you have anything that comes to mind for this as, as well, Matt? I'm 
I'm jumping the gun here on the season. Mm -hmm. I'm really looking at this next transfer portal window here. And just okay. that's from a who's going from Michigan State and then who's coming in. And I know that the second portal window is not like as cream of the crappie as the right. first one. But still, like, you can make some hay there. Or you could also make bigger scholarship allotments by right. saying, saying, saying right. goodbye to kids, as brutal as it is to say. So just like we've already seen it in the early cycle, like he's done a good job of getting some good talent in. But like, can you keep that momentum going even yes. in this next cycle here? And then, of course, the next offseason cycle and so forth and so on. But very, yeah. yeah, very true. Yeah, the, especially the part about making room. If you can have those tough conversations on behalf of the betterness of the entire program. It sucks, but yeah. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the job. And, and a yeah. lot of times you're only having those conversations with kids that otherwise wouldn't play. So you're kind of helping them out too. If, if their interest is, is playing right. time before their college eligibility runs out. So another, yeah, great answer there for sure. So yeah, yeah. The way he navigates kind of maybe a portal where there's not a lot of talent and how they evaluate guys that are maybe like more harder to identify along with how he navigates, maybe creating room on the roster. That would, that would definitely be yeah. something that shows that it's long-term roster management skills are up to par to go ahead and build maybe a sustained winner. There you have it. Also, just good quarterback play. I know it's a very yeah, basic answer, but yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be good. <laughs> Look at that. How about that for a hot take to end this thing? There we go. Look and with go. that, we appreciate everyone for tuning in. Uh, hope, hopefully everyone enjoyed the great questions asking by Matt. Yeah. And hopefully I provided a little bit of insight here and there. And uh, as, as we said earlier, for the algorithm, please comment, please like, please subscribe. And uh, even if you have nothing to say, just comment for the algorithm. Sure. And uh, we will see you next week. Appreciate everyone for tuning in. What emoji should people comment if they're listening mm. this late? And Yeah. Give me like any emoji. Mm, this, is, this is true. This is true. For the four people that are watching at minute number 52 right now. Let's see what my most recently used emoji is. Oh wow, that's that you could be putting yourself in the spot here. Okay. Good luck, it everyone. Is, it is the down arrow. That's not really interesting. Okay. No, that is that that is so off the wall, and I, that would take me a lot of guesses. Yeah. Comment <laughs> the down arrow if you're if you're listening this late in the show to to really prove that you are a true SD4L sicko out there <laughs> that, that listens this long. <laughs> I agree. Do that. Do that. Otherwise, I'll be very disappointed that you didn't take Matt's <laughs> instructions or the fact that you didn't listen to the very end, which would be even worse. <laughs> no, but really, guys, thank you so much for the questions. Those were all great questions, yes. great topics. Uh, hit it all. Football recruiting, which is what people are crazy for. And then, of course, football, basketball, and go hockey yep. this weekend. Yes. Let's get that Big Ten ship. Let's go down with the Buckeyes, which, hey, thank you, by the way, Buckeyes, for what you did last week. Actually, Matt, Wisconsin. you know what emoji people should be commenting? Hmm. It should be the note emoji like oh, on the don't paper. do this don't do all this. right appreciate everyone for tuning in see you guys next week